Welcome to episode two of Peer Review. Today we've got just me and Pauline. Hey. And we're going to be talking about security and porn. So, since uh, around 100 AD, we've been leaving traces of our existence around. What happened in Pompeii was that they had people writing on the walls, writing graffiti. And it was just stuff like, on April 19th, I made bread. And, yeah, basically, we've had this kind of thing, like posting on walls, right? Like Facebook. That's been going on for many years. People just leaving traces of themselves. Yeah, I was reading before, like between 2015, 2010 and 2015, the amount of data that we made quadrupled. And it's going, like it's quadrupled what we had in 2003, which a Google executive said was um, four exabytes, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. We're making more and more data. There's more and more traces of us existing. So these data bytes... They can be used by advertisers to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. For example, if you go on a website, you have history. Mm-hmm. And then from that history, like if you look at, for example, the University of Wollongong, if that was in your history, then you could assume that the person that had looked at that website probably lives in uni- in Wollongong and is a student of that university. Therefore, they probably have liberal political views because they're in a university. Mm-hmm. Therefore... We should advertise them this product, which they're likely to buy. And does it have anything to do with cookies that we have on the internet and stuff? Yeah. So, um, how does it work? How does it work? Well, I see this is a part one of part mm-hmm. of two parts. Oh. And to get into cookies, we'll talk to Nathan about it. So much suspense. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah, basically, if you're looking at porn, that's history that can be tracked. Like, that's pieces of that's bits of information that can be traced to you. But it's really inconsequential in Australia or France mm-hmm. if your history gets taken out. Like, there's this meme that if your internet history is released to the public, like your life is going to end. But really, you know, it's pretty normal to look at porn. And, yeah, it's not going to have any consequences. The real consequences are that your behavior is predicted by these algorithms Mm. and then your behavior is preceded by the algorithms. Like what content you're delivered will predict what you're going to do next. So if you're advertised a piece of clothing, you will buy that piece of clothing. Like the advertising comes before your actions. I thought you were going to give an example with porn references. Yeah. Slightly disappointed. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> we can. I think we should talk more about porn, actually. Mm-hmm. And what it means for women's body images. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we have a state of affairs right now where women are really at high risk of anxiety. And I think that part of that is because of an unrealistic expectation of reality, which, you know, goes back to our last episode um, on how we live in this hyper-reality where you're expected to look so super beautiful. Yeah, but I think it's actually something that, that has always existed, like different, just depending on the time and the place where you are living, you have different beauty standards. Like, for instance, during the like 16th century, it was like a beautiful woman was super curvy and stuff and like even what we consider today fat. And then at the end of the 90s, we're supposed to be like, you know, like Kate Moss, like super, super skinny. And now it's like you have to be curvy, but at the same time you have to be fake. And it's like so <laughs> complicated and it just change, changes all the time. So I think beauty standards are not something new, but it might be more like important now in the sense that because we have Instagram and we have all these social medias and stuff it's easier to like have access to this beauty standard and I think it's not about having it access it's more to be exposed to them uh, because every time you open this app you just have so many 
pictures of like super beautiful women. I think it's also a bit hard to take some distance from these pictures because you can see them and even though you know they can be like photoshopped and all that, it only represents like one person of the population. It's still, I think it still has an impact on your perception of yourself and of bodies in general. Mm. Because even when, I think even when you're aware that it has an impact and it's bad and you shouldn't compare yourself, the fact that you see these pictures and these images all the time, it will have an impact even though you don't really want it. Like unconsciously, you're going to be impacted and you can start comparing yourself. Like, even if it's not um, in the sense like, oh, I don't really like my body, it's just, oh, I don't have this type of body. Yeah, so, and it's the affordance of the medium of yeah Instagram. What happens is you put a picture up and then your friends and your peers rate you. Mm-hmm. And that, like, directly contributes to your self-image, yeah. like your, your opinion of your peers. Mm-hmm. So you're given some rating based on how you look, which is compared to like the most beautiful people because your friends are also looking at them on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, so it really, it directly affects how you think that you should look. You want to try and look like the person with the most likes, mm-hmm. to try and get the most social credit so that you yeah. can be, the, the high, you can have the highest social standing. It's like human nature to want to have high social credit. Yeah, and I think it's not only about body types and stuff like that is also about representation because if you pay attention I think that all these pictures of super uh, hot girls like basically I think they more or less all look the same and it's a real issue like because it's really hard to keep in mind that these girls with these body types and these faces and stuff they represent like one person of the population and it's not possible to have that like morphology and also the thing is, it's even worse, I think, when you're like, uh, for instance, uh, like dark, dark skin or something. Like, I'm not concerned, but I was talking to this friend who was telling me, well, I'm lucky because I'm black, but I'm light skinned, so I'm less discriminated against my skin color than dark skinned girls, but still they're, like, you don't really see them on social media. I mean, they exist, but you don't see them that much. And I think it's also a matter of representation because when you can't see yourself like in the public sphere, it's like really hard to like accept who you are and stuff. So I think it's even worse. So I think there are like like several things uh, involved. Like it's about your body image, your mental health, but also representation. Like we need more Asian or African or like Latin American women. Like we need everyone to be represented. Yeah, and it's not even 1% that's represented. It's 0.001% that have been amplified because they have millions and millions of Mm. followers. That one image is amplified. So you can see them even more. Yeah, exactly. So they get a lot of exposure, but Mm. they're really rare Mm. people. So you can see, like even, yeah, there's a few influencers that have this, Mm. by some miracle of genetics, Mm. have these crazy body types that are really attractive you can think that there's a lot of people like that but it's really just an amplification of that yeah and also yeah and also i think it impacts what we find attractive like Mm. because you see these images all the time like it will change your perception of your own and also other people's like appearances and bodies and so it might also change your expectations and your tastes but the thing is Many of them are like unrealistic. So, well, there's a guy, Marty Klein, I read on The Atlantic. Mm-hmm. He said that the issues with porn are a moral panic. Like, mm-hmm. he said that, you know, you have to understand that porn is just a space for fantasies and it's completely separate from reality. Mm-hmm. So, it has no bearing on what you should think that you should look like or what you find attractive. So it's like any social media, like Instagram and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the issue is, I mean, I don't believe that because you have a generation of kids, me included, that aren't taught the benefit of relationships or like sex. Mm. 
or you know that there's more to relationships than sex that you you just learn everything from porn mm. yeah of course and like related to that i know that in france it's a real issue because we're supposed to have these uh, sexual education classes that basically never happened and so basically kids are being educated if we can say that uh, by watching porn videos and so basically they don't have the ability to like at least when they see that when they're like too young they don't have the ability to realize that it's not um real life and they know nothing but all that uh surrounds all the things that are around sexuality so constant pleasure and stuff and like, like the value of hugging and kissing and yeah, just talking. Or just, yeah or i mean yeah or just like consent like yeah it's, it's not so in so videos. important yeah. and it's and like yeah i mean with all the me too things we just realize realize that many people like it that it's so hard to like draw a line bit between cons what is consent and what is not and that sometimes it's blurred so it's really necessary to make things clear and that it's fine to say no even when you when a second ago you said yes and it's really hard to teach that to people like both like to to teach people to say yeah you have the right to say no and to teach people when someone says no it's a no to be a good person yeah and i mean but we have um, parents that don't want to talk to their kids about that yeah that's why and it's really good that the school wants to have this well, it's, Ill it's illegal. It should happen. It's illegal in some states of America to talk about sex yeah. in class. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think, yeah, of course, it's a huge taboo in some uh, places. But I think it's not only about sex and stuff. It's also about health because uh, sexual education is not about um, teaching people like sexual positions or masturbation as we heard in France. Like... Like, one of the secretary of state wanted to have sexual education since, like, primary school, like, when you're, like, six or something. And she was like, yeah, we will adapt the class depending on the student's age. And I think it was a good idea. And many people were like, yeah, she's going to, like, like, help people being pedophile and teach our children how to masturbate in class and stuff, which is clearly not the point. And, of course... This was a minority of people saying that, but still, we could hear them. Mm. And I think it's not about that. It's just first about like explaining what it is so it's not dirty and it's completely fine. Yeah, it's also about health because if you don't teach people that they have to have safe sex and stuff, like you can have early pregnancies and you can have like all this. We were taught and that. Stuff. Like we were given that, like STDs. We put a. When? When I, when I was in high school, like, we put a condom on a banana. Yeah, but most people start their, like, sexual life before high school. Like, I mean, not most people, but some people do. Yeah. And they don't have any information. Yeah, but that's a small percentage of people. But still, yeah. it's important. And on what's depicted in, like, pornography, whether or not that translates to what happens in real life, like, in Japan, they have a lot of... VR porn mm. that's got sexual fantasies around under well women that look underage like girls mm -hmm. that look underage and rape fantasies now it's really hard to track whether or not that translates to high prevalence of rape mm. in Japan because mm. the statistics on that are underreported mm. and in every country yeah um, because women might not feel comfortable to to speak out about being raped because of the consequences. Yeah, because they have no support, basically. Yeah, and I'm infidel. <laughs> yeah. We're still reading it. Yeah. Ayaan <laughs> Yeah, she's like, in Islam, in that culture, you if you're raped as a woman, it's your fault. Mm. You should have been smarter. You shouldn't have been raped. So you can't speak out about it. But I think it's not only about religions, just about rape culture. Yeah. Like. But anyway, it's hard to tell whether or not the, what's depicted in pornography, which is just fake and, you mm -hmm. know, potentially harmless, mm -hmm. whether that makes people act on those mm. ideas, those fantasies. 
And I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think maybe it would. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like to some extent, I'm like a fantasy is a fantasy. So as long as it stays a fantasy and it doesn't harm anyone around you, it's fine. I don't know. I think it's a bit complex. But actually, for the whole thing about underage girls, I don't think it's only important because, I mean, even in real life, like when you're a girl, like, I mean, as long as you're a girl and you're walking down the street, you can be like 11 or like 25 or even older and you can still be harassed. So, and it might not be systemic and just a coincidence, but I was talking to a bunch of people and they were like, yeah, when I was quite young, like between 11 and 14, I was harassed all the time in the streets. And now that I'm like more than 20, I'm fine most of the time, which is quite weird <laughs> mm-hmm. and tells a lot about our society. I mean, I think we should do a, like a survey about that. But if it's actually a systemic thing, it's really scary. Well, a lot of women experience, the majority of women, I mean, all of us, like say like, in a lot of stuff yeah, of that they've experienced. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, it happens all the time, even not, when you're 20 and stuff. But yeah, just like it, unwanted Yeah, of course. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Experience. But my point is like, it also happens when you're like really young. Yeah. And so I think it's not only related to porn, it's like something in our society. Like as But whether as that girl, fantasy is... culture has any part to play in that or not, that, that's what we, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we should see. I don't know. Yeah. It's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. And on that, like you can choose to live in that fake reality if you want to. You don't have to have sex. You can just look at porn and that can be your reality mm-hmm. like you can see women as and they will be objects mm. because all you will if all you watch is porn like that's yeah reality for you so to say like that you know in reality like the way that porn affects reality mm. porn can be someone's reality yeah but um that's just sort of a meta yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> Observation. Yeah, but uh, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, uh, VR porn, like in Japan and stuff. I just don't know because I think this hyper real thing, I mean, to some extent, I, I, I'm not sure it's like super good because when you just decide to, when you decide to live in that... You don't think that the virtual like 3D porn is good? I'm not, I don't know if it's good or not. It might be a wonderful experience. I don't know. But when you decide to live only in this reality, I don't know whether or not it's really good for like your relationships and stuff because you don't need to be involved in any other kind of relationship with human beings. I don't know if, if he, if it like will isolate you from other people or like, I just don't know what's going to happen. But actually, if I remember well, there's a huge issue in Japan related to quite old men who are still single and because like i couldn't explain that we should do like more i mean it's quite <laughs> a conservative country but yeah i'm afraid it will just increase this uh phenomenon i don't know i mean i don't know and the porn is available in the west as well yeah it's just that but in, that, it's not three-dimensional representations of young girls mm-hmm. like that's the main difference just girls in general but yeah Mm. yeah i mean you know whatever if they're mm. real real like <laughs> like if they're actual human women that have been f- like filmed with a camera mm. we are whatever breast augmentations mm. they have or you know implants yeah. how unreal that makes mm. them um i mean i still think that they're you know they're real even the 3d rendered images they're real because you know they're real for you at the time yeah i think the issue is when you decide to do this and only this, like, and because you have this hyperreal world, you start, like, sort of believing that it's really real <laughs> and it's part of your life. And so you just cut yourself from, like, other people and you're just living an alternative life. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And so you're just completely disconnected and you're in an other world and will just increase your sense of uh, loneliness and isolation mm. so i mean it's not only yeah of course it has to do with 
like representation and women's status and stuff. It's also about um, like social interactions and stuff. And yeah, you're just your sense of belonging to like a community and a group, I think. And yeah, like I was saying before, the algorithms, they have so much power. Like, well, for example, uh, in, I think 2013, Target, the clothes company, mm -hmm. they sent this high school girl advertising for prams and baby equipment. Mm -hmm. And the dad messaged Target and was like, what, are you trying to get my high school aged daughter pregnant or something yeah. trying to advertise these this stuff to her but it turns out she was pregnant yeah. because she was searching for like diapers mm -hmm. so that they predicted that she was going to mm -hmm. need a cot mm -hmm. so they started advertising you know oh. baby needs to her and then the dad messaged back target and was like oh, i owe you an apology there apparently there are things going on in this house <laughs> that i didn't know about and oh but God. the point is that they <laughs> knew before her own dad mm. so and that was ages ago, mm. you know, and now it's gone to the point, well, this, this is still old, like they advertise, if, if it's baby needs, for example, they advertise that in a way that it looks random. So you're going to have, like, they'll send you a specific magazine just for you, mm. but it looks random because they've got cots next to lawnmowers. So it looks like it's not for you, but it is for you. Mm. And it's all just generated for you so that you don't know that you're being advertised to and it works in 2013 michael kosinski and two others conducted some research and on facebook and they found that they could accurately predict your personal traits like your sexual preference and your political leaning mm -hmm. from your likes and more than that, uh, things that you would consider private. Mm -hmm. And they garnered that information just from looking at your public public profile. Yeah. Isn't it like pretty easy to guess someone's political views based on their likes? Because, I mean, if you're liking... Yeah, a party, then it's Yeah, a party or like articles about the same kind of topic or like topics that are related, like save the planet or like... Uh, social justice and stuff like they're going to know you're like more like you know for the labor parties or stuff like that yeah well but it wasn't just that it was also yeah. your socioeconomic status oh yeah okay your age. education mm -hmm. your age yeah the fact that you're you who you are could be predicted like that just from your likes goes to show how much information can be inferred or whether or not your parents were divorced or not that was really spooky. Anyway, um, yeah, from only what you might think on the surface is a small amount of information that can yeah. infer a lot about you. And that's just been taken to the extreme. In America, they have tracking. In Bluffdale in Utah, they've got a – the NSA, they made this data storage facility, mm -hmm. which is massive and super secure. And local people call it the spy center. And what happens there, nobody knows. Hmm. Um, where the guy that opened it, Chris Inglis, he's a guy from the NSA. He's got, he didn't say that he knew what was happening in there. Hmm. And it's that asymmetry of information that, you know, once people figure out and think about, they don't really like. Like the NSA has a lot of information on you, but you know nothing about what they're doing with that information. Hmm. Same with Facebook. You. Once you think about it, they have a lot of information on you that they can infer from your friends. You know, if your friends mention you mm. or put a photo of you on without consent, that's information. What you put on the internet when you're online, like what, what days you're active, where you're active, that metadata, like your location, mm. that's all information that Facebook has and they don't tell you what they do with it at all. You just... It's just advertising or like that's what I mean, I was listening to someone else in my class's podcast and they thought that it was just advertising that this data was used for. Mm. And it's not just that, like in China, they've got a credit system. Yeah. Which you know about. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like you're given a score based on whether or not you like the Chinese Party. If you if you post pro Chinese Communist Party, yeah, memes or like statements on Weibo, 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 <laughs> then you'll get extra points. Yeah, actually, it's like yeah, that's the idea. It's a bit more complicated, but um, basically, you so the social credit system is quite new, I think. And it's based on dif- like many different um, criterion. So first, your consumption, your um, job, your salary, your friends, and your political views. So basically, it's a very useful um, tool. So first, yeah. So the social credit system is um, um, like watching how and what you consume, and based on that, you can. Get a win or lose points. So basically, if you consume a lot of alcohol, you're gonna lose points because it's not it's not healthy. But if you consume a lot, um, if you buy nappies, that's a good thing. It's yeah. responsibility. Yeah, but also if you consume a lot of like good things, you're gonna win points because you're actually like sustaining the Chinese economy. And same thing if you have a very good job and a high income, you're gonna win points because you have a high social status which is variable and you're able to spend more and everything. And then, so this is for the economic aspect of the social credit system. And then you have the whole political aspect of it, which is also really interesting. So they are targeting, uh, as you said, what you post on social media, which is quite easy because <laughs> there are not plenty in China. Uh, so yeah, basically the goal is to... Yeah, like if you, if you don't know, like yeah, China, they've got... Like WeChat, which yeah, is controls everything. Yeah, basically you can do everything with WeChat. You can like basically everyone use it in order to contact uh, people, but you can also like call a taxi, buy like do shopping and you can buy make train posts. tickets. Yeah, yeah, you can do you everything. Buy train tickets with it, basically. Plane tickets. Yeah, and that's all stored. All of that data is stored by the Chinese. Communist Party. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I have quite a funny story. So, um, I was an exchange in China, and one of my friend friend was there too, and she told me that uh, she <laughs> knew some people in China who went and stole some Christmas trees uh, in the university, and like two hours later, a guy. Wait, why did they steal Christmas trees? I don't know. It was Christmas. They wanted to have fun. I think they were a bit drunk. I just don't know what from, happened. They stole them from the university. They took them out of the university. No, I think they were like Christmas trees somewhere in the uni, and they just moved them. Uh huh. Like something like that. And two hours later, a random Chinese guy added them on WeChat, and they thought it was funny, so they like accepted the friend request. And then the guy called them, and it was like a video call. Turned out it was a policeman. And the guy was actually super nice, but he was like, guys, I saw you on camera and I was able to like link your face to your numbers and all your records. So I was able to add you on WeChat. So don't do that again. And it's quite, it's a funny story, but it's actually really scary. And yeah, it's just massive surveillance. And they were really lucky this time because the guy was laughing and was like, you know what? It's fine, but really don't do it again because... I saw you. Yeah, it could have been more more serious. And you think that, you know, from a safety perspective that people might accept that. Yeah. Like, oh, well, it's going to make, you know, China more safe. And that's what proponents of it say. Yeah, that's why, So, I mean, like so many people are happy to have cameras outside because they think places are going to be safer because of that. But your data is your autonomy and it's being swapped. So you can't have less freedom. Yeah, but the thing is... Because we don't really, you know, data is not a material thing. Like, and you don't, and most of the time you don't realize how much data you're sharing and you're giving. And because, yeah, because you can't just like touch it and see what it looks like. You just don't really care. And I think one of the issues is, uh, but it's, I mean, I don't, I think it's related to some extent. The thing is, uh, we gave access to internet and laptops and everything to people, and it's really useful. But the thing is, yeah, we like these new technologies 
have developed like really really fast but we I don't think we I, yeah I don't think we know enough like how to protect ourselves and stuff so it's as if we're giving a tool to someone and the person don't realize that yes it's really useful but it's actually also really dangerous yeah in in practice that looks like if you're from Xinjiang in China mm. you on the uh, app the version of the app there yeah um, this is where there's the genocide going on if you're Uyghur yeah. Um, then basically you're being tracked and stuff but yeah but and your your freedom to move is yeah, limited like yeah. you can't if you move past a certain area then yeah I think okay I'm just gonna finish my explanation of the social credit system I think it's gonna make a lot more sense okay so yeah just to finish they're also tracking who you are, your friends are and if your friends have a good social like um status you also have a good one and if they don't have a very high score your score is going to decrease as well and so basically if you have a like a high score you have access to many different services and it can go from you know being able to use public transportation or take the train especially the high-speed train and even the it gives you access or not to social security which is really interesting and really, really important. And yeah, so basically it can reduce your like capacity to move and stuff. So it's basically what's happening in Xinjiang. Because basically uh, this system is a lot worse in Xinjiang. Like, you know, you have three categories. Like you can be uh, trustworthy, average or not trustworthy. But basically you just can't move. If you're untrustworthy, you're completely stuck. Yeah, I mean, you're just going to end up in a camp. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're in a re-education camp. Yeah, of course. No. Um, I... <laughs> to learn, uh, yeah, good things. Um, no. But I... yeah, and actually I was talking to a friend who worked on it and she did a really good job and she told me that in Xinjiang it's even more particular. Like, uh, basically you have... Like in China, everything works with a QR code, you know, that you have to scan so you can pay or you can have information or like the thing you're scanning. And so basically she told me that in Xinjiang, on each building, you have a QR code. And so the police can scan it and see who's living there and where they are currently and if they have paid their electricity bills and stuff. So all these people's People are tracked all the time. Yeah, and if they've not paid their electricity bill or they're in debt for, for some other reason, then their score is going to decrease and they'll be untrustworthy. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And, um, yeah, so actually, it's, I think it's important to mention the fact that in China, there's another thing called the hukou. So it's basically like, um, let's say it's a resident permit for Chinese people in China and so um, you have one and it just says that you are living in this particular city. And so if you're from the countryside, because you don't have a hukou from, for instance, for, for instance, Shanghai, Shanghai or Beijing, it means that you can't work there. Otherwise, it's illegal and you can't send your kids in these high schools. But then it's a real issue because... There's a real like segregation between people from the countryside and people living in the cities because um, the people in the country are second-class citizens with yeah, less yeah. freedom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the thing is, with this um, social credit system, like there are like two hypotheses. Like the first one is maybe it will correct the drawbacks of the hukou, saying oh so we realized that this system is bad. It's really bad well, for people, people from the, the countryside country, yeah. because they have less advantages and stuff. So let's correct it with a social credit system by saying that they can start with... Okay, let's say that the maximum, the highest score you can get is 800 points. And let's say that people from the countryside, instead of starting from zero, they can start from like 300. But I don't think this is how it's going to work. And I think this second hypothesis is more like, um, how would you say that? Like, I think that's 
the right one. Uh, it's just going to increase the gap between people from the countryside and people living in the city. And my friend, who is really good, um, who worked on this uh, whole subject, um, she told me, and I think she might be right, actually, but um, there are not enough research at the moment on it. But she thinks that this social credit system is really um, interesting and because it targets the two main um, like um, topics that are really important for the Chinese government, so the economy and the politics. So economy, because you have to sustain consumption, but it's also about economy because, um, as you know, um, Chinese population is huge and the social security system is losing money and they don't have enough money for everyone, especially for you know retired people who are supposed to get a pension. And so the social credit system is um, enabling the Chinese government to like create a political justification on why some people can't get access to social services or like help from the state or like pensions because according to this system their behavior was wrong so they can save money yeah exactly mm -hmm. so that's the whole thing so it's really smart <laughs> and might be efficient so yeah it's just a way to ensure like social peace because yeah they can just yeah. justify that because of your behavior yeah so but it doesn't it's, so it's acceptable to some extent for chinese people to think that the government is working in their best interest yeah. but if you're of the at the receiving end of a negative review from the government mm. you have no recourse to overturn that decision you have you can't do anything you can't talk no. to a lawyer you can't no because that complain that's about it. how it works yeah you're just you're you're just done yeah and actually and so are your friends yeah and i think why we are like talking about that i'm thinking i think when you have a bad score you can't like change it because basically let's say you have a bad score and if you want to well there's we Weibo, there's Weibo forums yeah on but, how to improve your score yeah but i think let's say if you have a very bad score because of your political activities and who your friends are like you can't really change that because you're still in the system they have data on you saying like showing that you've said that that particular day and if you want to let's say you want to be friends with people who have a higher score like your score is not going to increase but their score might decrease because of you and because it's related to i mean your income and your job you can't just be a worker and then snap become like a doctor or something and i mean your job and your salary is related to your consumption so basically when you have a bad score it's, i think it's really hard to really improve like drastically mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe it'll be interesting to figure it out, but um, I think there might be some options because I found Chinese people quite helpful. Yeah. And they do have a culture of helping mm -hmm. other people. Yeah. So there might be some community support for somebody that has a poor score, mm. but it could go either way. They could just be left mm. with no social security to yeah. on the side of the road, like, you know, in yeah, a gutter. Of course. But yeah, and I think here, what is really interesting, I think is it's gonna be really interesting for like the middle class, while for poor people, they're just gonna be dragged down like even more than they are already. Because yeah, you can get some points because you have a good behavior and stuff, but reaching the other, like regarding the other categories, you can't really like move or change your situation. So complicated <laughs> mm. yeah and you have a listening device on you all the time mm -hmm. oh really well your phone yeah true i mean the nsa it was exposed during the bush era like they can uh listen to you without a warrant mm -hmm. there's a lot less privacy in china mm. they have way more security cameras and yeah you definitely would be the <laughs> Yeah, of course. Listen to, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, remember when we were leaving the campus, like they would take a picture of like the inside of the car, and then on the road, I thought yeah. they were yeah they there's were a like camera in the in the traffic yeah and in the taxi there's yeah a there's also a camera in the taxi yeah that's where I forgot about that but even on the road, like there were like some flash and at the beginning it was like oh that was a radar but actually it wasn't it was just like every I don't know let's say like just to fifty track meters your position, yeah, yeah they're just like taking pictures of the car and stuff so they basically know where you're going with whom and when and yeah there's basically no privacy except when you're in your room, in your room. Mm, but those systems those cameras on the road they can also tell how fast you're going so they can issue fines they yeah. can send it to the person driving the car because they have your mm-hmm. face yeah and even on campus i don't know if you remember but there were some um like signs and every time a car was uh, passing the thing would show their um the number that's written on the back of the car of the car yeah the number plate yeah the number plate and their speed and would be in red if it was like too fast or in green it was fine mm. so it was just instantly mm. um like i remember that time where i was talking to a friend and we're like oh that would be amazing to go on holidays you know go to greece or something and we're talking about the particular greek island <laughs> and like literally 10 minutes later on facebook we had like many many ads for like plane tickets and hotels in this particular island so the beginning was like oh that's just a coincidence but that's weird and actually it happens so many times yeah and then i read articles where saying no your phone is actually listening to you which is quite scary but i mean the the issue is we know that people are spying on us like i mean spying in the sense that all the devices we have are collecting data and stuff but still we are buying you know this um I don't remember the name. Alexa. Yeah, like Alexa and... um, Google Home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're obviously listening to us all the time. Mm. I mean, there was this story, I think it was in the US, where a a guy uh, killed his wife, I think. And the court wanted to have access to the Google Home device because it might have registered the whole conversation. Mm. And there was a whole thing about whether or not they were able to do that. And... Uh, yeah, that was interesting. And there was also a Did, whole... What happened? Do you know? They were able to... Well, I'm actually, I'm really not sure, but I think they were able to have access to the recordings. I'm not sure if it was uh, Alexa or Google Home or something like this, but they were, like, uh, telling people how to commit suicide because it's based on what people will search on the internet. And so you just have to say some particular keyboards and they will just... Some keywords. Oh, keywords. Yeah, sorry. And then they will just give you the result, but there is no, you know, filter. Like, they're just not going to say, oh, maybe these people, like, this person might be in trouble. So if you ask Alexa, how do I kill myself? It will just tell you. Yeah. Okay. And the thing, I think the whole po- the whole issue was that uh, a kid said something... And the device heard it wrong and thought the kid was talking about suicide. Oh, okay. And so the thing was just explaining how to commit suicide. Okay. So, yeah, I think the whole, there was a whole thing about that as well. But, I mean... Yeah, that We're that literally happen. buying that and people are happy because when you're saying, okay, Alexa, can you turn the light on? The thing does it. Or mm. plays music. And people think, oh, wow, that's progress and that's super cool. The downside of that is that there's a lot of money to be made from turning your data into yeah, information. Yeah, like basically you are the project. Like. Yeah, and we've got um, a system like China's mm. with the cameras tracking where you're going in Darwin, actually, mm-hmm. in Australia. What happens is your face is recorded and then you can't leave certain areas mm-hmm. if you're under house arrest. Um, there's like cameras that, yeah, that yeah. notify the police if you mm-hmm. leave a certain range. So that's, again, controlling mm. people's behavior. Yeah. True. Oh, yeah. And it reminds me about China. I think there was a whole thing about a um, guy who was more or less a political opponent. And he went to a concert and there were like hundreds or thousands of people. And I think the policeman didn't pay attention that it was him. And because of all the cameras, in like three minutes, they were able to like see where he was like in the audience in 
yeah, in the audience, and it was huge. And so I think a journalist from the UK sent his pictures, his picture to the authorities, and he said, oh, I'm going to be in this particular city that day, and just tell me when you found where I am. And it took them like only five minutes to <laughs> to know in which street he was mm. and to come and pick him. Mm. Just to say, oh, we found you. <laughs> because of all the cameras that were yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty crazy. But yeah, I mean, just like people just don't realize, I know that in France, we are starting to implement um, facial recognition in some places and many people are actually super happy about it and yeah but then you know the next step is well yeah of oh course. you're telling lies yeah of course. the government didn't do that of and course then, well, and i mean yeah. it's just like we're just like slowly sliding from like a democratic state to something that we don't really know or we might know but we don't want to yeah name. I, I think that we've we've had our freedom in the past like mm. our parents had a lot of freedom mm. and could get away with a lot and there was no recording of their actions like there I mean, wasn't as much surveillance then. Yeah, but you could. And they still, had money. Yeah, but you could still be uh, tracked and stuff. Like if you were involved in some particular political activities, like the state had a like would have a record and your name would be written and stuff. Yeah, but so now we're course, giving them that allocation yeah, all the time with our phones. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't think that it was better before, but this is definitely scarier because it's like to some extent new, like. There is no precedent, and we just don't know where it can lead. Mm. And personally, after spending like a semester in China, uh, <laughs> I'm really not like okay with France wanting to like implement facial recognition. And it's detrimental effects on your health, knowing that you're being yeah. surveilled all the time. I mean, I know that in China it was actually a bit weird. I think that I was a bit. Um, not scared, but nervous when I arrived. Exactly. But I think it was also related to my own bias because, you know, you hear many, many things about China. And so when you are actually there and you see cameras and you see other stuff, I think, of course, there's a reality, but you also want things to fit into your mental representation of the thing. So I was always really nervous in front of cameras. And then, I think it's a bit terrible to say it, but I got used to it. And I mean, I knew they were there, but I cared less. And again, I, I, think, it, I think it's not really <laughs> smart and it's pretty stupid. But And also, I think it was because I was not Chinese and I knew I was going to leave. But uh, instead of thinking, oh, I'm just going to... I'm not going to say anything because it might uh, get me into trouble. I was just more and more provocative. Like, <laughs> I mean, not all the time and not on very, very hot uh, topics, but I was, you know, always trying to do like extravagant things or talk about some stuff like really loudly just to say, huh, I'm saying this, what are you going to do? And I know it's really, really stupid and I was yeah. able to do that because I was not Chinese and I knew I was going to leave. Mm. But uh, yeah, it can have like different effects on people and stuff. Yeah. Uh, if you were Chinese, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. I wouldn't be say anything. Yeah, there would be a different yeah. outcome. Um, I mean, I was talking, I met a guy there um, and he was saying, if your messages on WeChat, if they're read by the police... Mm. And they're anti-communist messages. Mm. You will get messaged to take the message back. And then, like, because you can have a group chat, right? Mm. Then you're expected to delete that message and say that you support the communist government mm. and everything that it does. Yeah, and he's, he admitted that he had sent something like that. Mm. But he was sure to delete it mm. 10 seconds after he sent it, before mm. the police had gotten the chance to read it. Oh. Um. But I don't even think that that matters that you delete it because the fact that you sent it would be stored. Yeah. Like Google records what you type into your phone before you yeah. search it. Just mm -hmm. what you enter into that search bar, that's recorded. Okay. Even if you press backspace mm -hmm. and then type something else. So mm. it would be okay. the same. And yeah, I mean, the facial recognition technology that they have in China can, can read your emotions. Mm. So 
they can read how you're feeling and what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. And yeah, I and it's okay. It's gonna sound really scary, but actually, that experience in China was amazing. But uh, I had I had uh, this friend who was um, studying at, in Beijing at the um, University of the People, Jinmin uh, Dashui. And I went there with her on the last day, like just before we left. And it was actually really, really impressive. Like you have a first gate to be, you have to go through a first gate to be able to enter the university. And the gate opens only if it recognizes your face. And at the time I was really scared I couldn't enter the uni because it wasn't mine. But because of the circumstances, the guards didn't really pay attention. I was able to just run <laughs> behind my friend. But she was able to open the gate because of her face. Like, I remember that she was standing in front of the camera and the uh, gate just uh, showed her the picture she submitted when she enrolled in the university. And then, so there were cameras in the ca like in the campus, but that's quite normal. <laughs> and then we wanted to get into her dorm. And again, she had to show her face. And then I wasn't able to go through because there were like guards and stuff. And yeah, I remember all the cameras. And she told me that this is also the reason why she chose to go to this university. Because she knew it would be really, really controlled. And she wanted to see how it was. And so there were like all these cameras. How and did stuff. you get in to the door? I, I, <laughs> so she was able to, but I was just like waiting in the hall. Like yeah. in the corridor. Yeah, yeah. And then someone was watching you. Yeah, and it was actually really funny because um, so the guards were behind the gates. So, yeah, the gates were between them and me. And I could see them, like, watching me, uh, like, you know, in the corner. And they were talking about, like, who I was and stuff. And sometimes, like, because I was standing there for, like, three hours, I, I got bored. And <laughs> I just went in the corner of, like... Uh, the room and so they couldn't see me and then the guy literally jumped off his uh chair to see where i was <laughs> that was really funny and we played that game for like i don't like yeah maybe five minutes <laughs> and then i don't know why but i was like oh you know what i really really want to pee and so he was like okay just go through the gate it's fine and we ended up like <laughs> like being like friends to some extent like he needed help to revise uh English sentences and stuff, so it was quite funny. And so, <laughs> I don't know, but I think I was really overconfident, and I thought I would be able to, like, you know, uh, take the lift and go to my friend's room. And then he was like, No, <laughs> you can stay on the couch, but <laughs> you can't go like there. So that was quite funny. But yeah, and so she told me that basically, um, there was an IE on her on each floor, so it's basically a lady who is supervising what's going on. And she told me that every time she wanted to leave the uni, like for the weekend, for instance, she was supposed to fill a form with like her passport, her name, the place where she wanted to stay, uh, the train she will take and stuff. And I don't know if it's true or not, but she told me that she really, really thinks that when she was not there, some people were like looking into her stuff but i don't know if it's true but um we had room checks at true. Wuhan. yeah when we were not there hmm. that's true <laughs> yeah i remember that and i'm a bit so scared I remember from my computer yeah <laughs> still there <laughs> a guy got a text in class one of his friends was like oh they're checking rooms hmm. and he just ran out of the classroom to yeah, go to and her, hide like, something alcohols and <laughs> alcohol and foods and stuff like that yeah <laughs> yeah actually oh that was really funny so i was um, in Marion's room, actually. And someone was knocking on the door and we we're like super lazy. I was like, okay, I'm going to get up. And while I was going to touch the door handle, the door just literally opened and the lady behind was like as surprised as I was. And she was like, oh, you're inside. And I was like, yeah. And who are you? And they were just like checking the rooms. And it was just so weird because she didn't come inside she just stayed at the door and she was like okay so this is wrong you shouldn't do this or the computer on the bed this is really dangerous and then she left but that was just so weird she was like oh should i come in i was like well you're already there so what do you want and she was like, oh just to check the room yeah i was there when they checked my room once mm -hmm. and she walked in and like my room was just kind of messy and it was a bit <laughs> embarrassing 
She didn't say anything. Mm. And then left. Mm. She was just like, all good. Yeah. Oh, and I remember that um, evening that was quite funny. So I was walking in the corridors and like I was going um, like from my room to a friend's place, then to yours and I was coming back and then, you know, going back and forth. And I was walking in the corridor and <laughs> I heard someone behind me and thought, oh, that might be a student. So I'm going to leave him some space so he can, you know, walk past me. And no one did that. And when I finally arrived in front of uh, the place I wanted to go to, I turned around and it was actually a guard. And he was standing like, I don't know, three meters away from me. And he was looking where I was. And that was just so weird. So yeah, he was just standing there and seeing what, like, with who I was going to be at that time of the day mm. it was just so weird so i remember waiting and was like oh is he gonna come back he didn't but it was just so weird and yeah there were like many things like this and actually one thing i wasn't able to get used to was all the cameras in the classrooms like, yeah in the classrooms so the, oh and that was so that the teachers didn't say anything against the government because they were recording, definitely. The teachers did not want to talk about Well, actually, that was really funny because one of my teachers embarrassed herself. Like, just like herself. Because she was like, oh, so guys, um, I guess you still want to use Facebook and stuff. So are you using VPNs? And we're just all so embarrassed. So we're just looking at each other, but we didn't, didn't say anything. Or we're just like laughing but nervously. And then she realized that no one was going to answer. And so she started to smart, but you could see that she was really, really uncomfortable. And she was like, oh, anyways, I'm never going to use that kind of thing because it's super expensive. And, and Facebook, it's not useful and stuff. She was like, okay, let's move on. Mm. And yeah, ooh, <laughs> hungry. <laughs> oh, I remember that teacher, he wanted to talk about the fact that, you know, when you have a Western word, um, in Chinese, you're trying to like you know, translate it using the the sound, like the pronunciation. And he was like, "Yeah," and, you, and he literally said, "Yeah." And then you have these stupid uh, regulations where you want the, the sound to be the same, but also the meaning. So, for instance, for Starbucks, they were saying like, I think Xin Bak or something like that. Yeah, Xin actually means star ba. in Chinese. So, like the pronunciation and the meaning would match the western word star doesn't really sound like shin but i'll give you that yeah but i mean yeah yeah i don't think there's the sound star in chinese but yeah and yeah he was like yeah you have this stupid ta but then it's really long and but i mean yeah i think while you're saying that you have enough time to order like two coffees yeah <laughs> and basically he was like yeah you have these stupid regulations and you could see he was laughing a bit and he was like pointing his finger like up like you know as if he was saying like you know the, the stupid guy up there and that was pretty funny but which another thing that was really funny is that on wechat he was always sending stuff about um like posting stuff and sharing pictures about Hong Kong and Taiwan, saying that um, these people were completely wrong and they couldn't understand, like, you know, how uh, amazing the uh, uh, PCC is and stuff. And he even told us that their books were the wrong ones and that their... Taiwan's books were wrong. Yeah, and Hong Kong's books were wrong, like the history books. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was like, yeah, they should know how... Uh, lucky they are to be part of China, uh, which is also debatable. But um, yeah, he was really like super angry about them. He was like, yeah, these young people don't know anything and their protests are not legitimate. But he was like, yeah, always sharing that. That's so it was really interesting. But yeah, it's, it's like to, to go back to our topic, like the fact that there are cameras in the streets, I think we're like pretty used to it. Like, we have cameras in, like, shopping centers and stuff like that. So, to some extent, it's not that shocking, even though the amount is quite impressive. But, but the, the fact that there are cameras in the cl classroom, that was really, really disturbing. And the assumption in the West is that that is just a closed circuit that's, hmm. you know, if you're in a shopping center, 
whatever Maya can yeah. film you, but that's just gonna look. That's gonna that footage will stay in that shopping center. Mm. It's not sent to the government so they yeah. know your location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Which is, it's a different ball game. Yeah, actually, I think I hope that China will send me a DVD of my best off. <laughs> uh, when I was there, because I think it's going to be pretty funny. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of the stuff that is going to be on camera. <laughs> Everything is on camera. It makes me glad that I have four walls that I can post <laughs> graffiti on, <laughs> like yeah. they did in Pompeii. Thanks for listening to the second episode of Peer Review. If you want to find me, you can find me online at livehowyouwant.wordpress.com.